So today I want to talk about building Christ's church. And uh, it's wonderful to be here together. I will continue just uh, sharing from God's word what has been happening. And, and some of what we've just done in the affirmation is going to be repeated in what I want to um, kind of uh, emphasize this morning. So, building Christ's church. We have read a number of scriptures today, and it's really a wonderful thing to read the Word of God. And I want to continue doing that. I'd like to read Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19, as we understand building Christ's church. The Bible reads, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of heads will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Now, this is an interesting part that we probably need to talk about. I, I know that in the Greek it says whatever you bind on earth would have been bound in heaven. It doesn't mean when you bind it here, that's when it's done, but it would have been bound already in heaven. And we're going to look at uh, the confession on, on what foundation, on what rock is, is the church actually being uh, built. As a way of introduction, I'd like to say that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic restrictions that, in, that we have made people ask questions regarding the nature and relevance of the church. In fact, I had somebody write to me uh, on Facebook, on our BCBC Facebook page, to say now this is the end of Christianity uh, for you, and when you gather on your Good Friday service, you tell us why your God decided to infect the whole world with the COVID-19 virus. So I was supposed to answer that when it happened that was in 2020. It took me a few days or a couple of weeks to answer that question, but I did answer that person who wrote. Uh, I didn't know who, where they lived and why they decided to write to us that time. But during that time, uh, people thought that the church is no longer going to survive, the church is not relevant. They have never done church history, of course, or studied just the history of the world. You can never kill the church. The church lives forever. But what is the nature of the church and how relevant is the church? Why do we gather? Who are we? Listen, we 
as individuals, not the building, are the people of God, are the church. This is who we are. The church is us as a community of believers. We are created to build with God, and we don't build the church without God. He is building his church and advancing his kingdom. We are kingdom people, a new creation, to represent Christ wherever we are. We must announce this good news of God's kingdom so that people may believe and be restored to their creator and to one another. That they will be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the light. But who is the builder of this church? I'd like to introduce to you that Christ is the builder of the church. Many times people think they are the builders, or they think the pastor is the builder, or they think the elders are the builder of the church. And the problem that we have in many churches today is that Christ is not leading the churches. Individuals are leading the churches. That's why there's too much conflict. There's fighting. Because they don't know who is the head of the church. Christ is the builder. The story that we just read, when Jesus went with his disciples and reached Caesarea Philippi, he asked them the question. Christ's question to his disciples was, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man, that is uh, implying himself. You see, it was easy for them to answer what people were saying about who Jesus was. It's very easy to talk about what other, what other people are saying. And so they said all those things. However, when the question was changed to become uh, personal, they remained silent. You see, the personal question was, what about you? Who do you say I am? They were quiet. They had been with him all along, and they were quiet. They could not answer who they thought Jesus was. If they were thinking something, they didn't want to embarrass themselves. So they kept quiet. You see, this question should be answered by each one of us in this room and those of us who are watching. Who, who you believe Jesus to be will determine your commitment and is foundational to your Christian faith. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say I am, says Jesus. The disciples could not answer, and I don't know if you can answer that question. The answer that should come from your heart, not just from here. You see, Simon Peter answered. Look at his answer. The answer is in two parts. The, he says, you are the Messiah. That means you are the anointed one the one who is to save Israel. That's what Messiah is, the anointed one. You are the Messiah. That's the first part to his question. The second part to the question is the son of the living God that talks about the divinity of Christ. You are God. You are the Messiah. I did just ended with the Messiah. Anyone can be a Messiah as a human being. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. Then he adds, you are God, by saying the son of the living God. 
That means you are of the same essence as God. You are God. Now, Jesus says to him that you didn't say this of yourself. This was revealed to you by my Father. It was a moment of revelation. Peter's answer was by revelation, we can know God to the extent that he reveals himself to us. Because then he says to him, and I tell you that you are Peter. It's like he changes his name. That word Peter uh, is Petros, meaning pebble, a small stone. So he says, you are Peter. Now, what many people do not understand or do not follow or not notice is when he has moved from addressing Peter, now he's addressing everybody else. After he says, you are Peter, Pebble, then he says, and on this rock, that word rock is Petra, I will build my church. He has now moved away from Peter. Now he's talking about this confession that he has made, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it is on this confession, on this rock, that I will build my church. The confession that Christ is the Son of the living God. And then he says, and the gates of heads will not overcome it. This is talking about death, the end of life where it was believed people went. Now, it's interesting. It says the gates of heads will not overcome it. It says, I will build my church. Christ is the builder of the church. And, and then it says the gates of heads will not overcome it. You see, it, the gates serve to keep something in and keep something out. Are you following that? So it says the gates, the gates don't move, right? The gates are static, they're stationary. So it says the gates of heads would not overcome it. What does that mean? Many times people read this passage of scripture to think that the church is going to be so strong, protected, so that when, when, when Satan comes to attack, the church will be protected. So they are always thinking uh, defensive. Uh, they are always worried about the devil. It's like, oh, the devil is going to attack me. I don't know what he's going to do to me tomorrow. I don't know. They're always thinking of what the devil is going to do to them. They don't realize that the church has been built by Christ and strengthened with power, that when the church goes on the offensive, it's the devil who's wondering where the church is going to attack him next. The, you see, the, when, when the church goes on the offensive, preaching the gospel that sets people free from bondage to sin, the devil is confused. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his church. People come and go, but, but the nature and power of the church will remain with Christ as the head. Who remain? The church will keep on advancing and growing. In fact, you and I will go one day, but the church will remain. Many people have tried to destroy the church. They have died, and the church has continued to grow and to go all over the world. 
Even the powers of darkness cannot overcome the church. People talk about the church dying in Canada, and I say, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what pipe they've been smoking. That's what. <laughs> the church in Canada is not dying. The churches that are being planted that are growing. I think a number of you know that my family and I served as missionaries in, in, in Europe. Uh, specifically, we, we were based in the Netherlands. And when we went there, it was known as the missionary's grave. The, you know, Europe was becoming, had become post-Christian. Churches were closing. But what they did not realize was that the church was actually alive. So we were planting churches, and churches continue being planted. I, I'm, I'm teaching a class uh, at seminary on the church and world missions. And, you know, so one of the things that I'm, I'm sharing with my, my students is, is to, to show them how the church is growing all over the world. In France, a church is planted every 10 days. In fact, there's a church that was planted recently, and uh, with, with, you know, it's over 2,000 people. When we were there, if you had a church of 40 people, you, you, you know, it was a big church, 50 people. Those were the sizes. But the churches have been springing up. In Spain, a church is planted every three days. And also, so we have, we have people planting like the French, the, the, the Spanish people, but we also have immigrants who are coming on fire and they are planting churches all over Europe. And the same thing is beginning to happen here in Canada. No, the church is not dying. I want you to know that. You know, some people ask, somebody asked me recently, they were talking about a church that is uh, close to 200 people. And uh, this, you know, they asked me a question. They said, I don't know if this church is viable. I don't know if they're able to sustain themselves. I don't know if the church is viable. I was scratching my head it, you know, after the meeting. Didn't Jesus say where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst? How many did he need? Minimum two people with Jesus. They're going to do exploits. You're talking 200 people with Jesus. What are you thinking about? The problem today is that people think the church money. They're saying, is this church going to have enough money to support the programs? That's where we got it all upside down. So when we're thinking about the success of the church, our annual meetings, we're not focusing on how many people have heard the gospel and how many people have been brought to Christ. We are focusing on how much money have we made? Where did we go wrong? Are you hearing me? What is the church? You see, it's very difficult to find one definition of church, except that the Jesus and the, the scriptures give us the imagery of the church. 
There are some imagery of the church. What is the church? First, the church is known as family. As family, that is who you are. You share the same blood, the blood of Jesus. Regardless of your ethnicity, the color of your skin, your social status, and your gender, you are a family. You are brothers and sisters. Are you hearing me? So I get surprised when I find within churches they have discrimination between the rich and the poor, the educated, the not educated, the, the brown, the black, the black people, yellow, white. Don't you just need to celebrate all, all that diversity that you have? You are a family. That's what church is about. And secondly, church's body. The body has many parts, and each part is important. Each part has a function. That's what the church is about. Every one of you has something to contribute to the function of the church. You are not the most important person in the church. I mean, everybody else is as well. You are God's favorite, so is everybody else. They're also God's favorite. All right? So we all need one another, and every one of us has something to contribute to the body of Christ. It is not advisable to think that the church is not going to function. If you are not there, you are indispensable. You remember, the one who builds the church is Christ, and he places people in the body. It's a privilege to belong to the body of Christ and to serve with Christ. Temple. A temple, the Bible says, you are the temple of God. God dwells in our midst. You as an individual Christian, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. Collectively, as we gather together, God dwells in our presence. We are the temple of God. So the church is the temple of God, and where God is, there is life. This is who we are. When you gather together, think about the actualized presence of God with you. When you pray, you're not praying in the air. God is right there in your midst to do great signs and wonders. God is alive. You are a lampstand. A lampstand that shows light to the surrounding communities that people may see and walk in the light instead of being in darkness. You see, Jesus is the foundation of this church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. 
But to those who, not, who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? The cornerstone, or it's known as the foundation stone or setting stone, is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation or building. It's important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone. Thus, this is going to determine the position of the entire structure. Our Christian lives must be built or lived in reference to Christ. He is the only one who has successfully lived a Christian life. He modeled for us how to live as new creation. You can never have Christianity without Christ. And never kick Jesus out of your church. You see... I talked about Christ the builder. Now let me talk about the intent for the church. What is God's intent for the church? I'd like to read Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11. Listen to this. His intent was that now, now this is where I invite you to help me again. Now, through the church. Who is the church? Us. So now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So through the church, his intent is that through you and I, his wisdom should be made known. It is you and I to make known the wisdom of God. It should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that speak to you about? It talks to you about spiritual forces. Somehow, the devil and his kingdom, they realize, whoa, something happening down there. Something, this something. Jesus did not die, truly he rose. He's gone to heaven. But wait a minute, something is happening out there. The church rises in power and begins to do the work of God. This is according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, the purposes of God will always be fulfilled. What is the message to the church? What is the message to you, Calvary Baptist Church? Linus Morris says, The kingdom of God stands over and above the church, beckoning it to a higher calling. You are not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is larger. We are part of it. And the kingdom of God is calling you to a higher calling. Rise up. Be who you are meant to be. We as a church are called to love and worship God, to love people and to spread the good news. By loving people, we help people who are hurting, who, who are rejected, who have no food, who need love. The church should be where God's grace, mercy, and love are put in practice. 
The church should not be a place where people get hurt. It should be a place where people find healing. Can you provide that place here at Calvary Baptist Church, working together with your senior pastor and the team of elders and the team of other people who are in the ministry, ministry team? I do not believe that Christ intended that the church needs to be led by one person. I, I, I believe in, in, in the concept of a team and everyone is gifted, brings their gifts together to serve together for the growth of the church. That's why the other point I'll give you is the five ministry gifts to the church, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 reads, So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, five ministry gifts. These are the ones that he gave as a gift to the body, to your church. I have no time to explain all these things, but all these ones, this is not talking about the first 12 apostles. No, it's talking about people that have a calling that is apostolic, and, and, and some are prophetic, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. Now, when you expect Dave to do all this, you'll be disappointed because there is no way as a single person is going to reach every one of you. There has to be a team that is built in here. He will give leadership to the team, but the team needs to be together. I don't know who is already on that team and who God will put on Dave's heart to include on that team or the others. But you need to have a team in the church. So God has given sh these shepherds who are pastors, who are part of this, to guide and teach the church uh, the things of God. They are to equip Christians on how to do ministry, and every church member is part of the body of the local church and needs to step up to doing ministry to the Lord, to one another, and to the lost and hurting world. Not to just come and say, oh, let's hear what the pastor is going to speak about today, and then you go, you wait for another Sunday. You are a participant. What is the purpose? Why has he given these five ministry gifts? The purpose is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As I walked into your congregation at the door there, you says the head, something like the head of the church is Jesus. So I said, all right. And then the, the ministers are the followers. And, and I hope, I, I think you, you, you are followers of the pastor, but in reference they have to be followers of Christ. So you are here. Every one of you is a minister. Every one of you, wherever you are. And the goal, what is the goal? The goal is that until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the all measure of the fullness of Christ. What will be the result? The result will be established in knowledge. So we will be established in that knowledge. We will become mature body of Christ. And we will function as the body ministry. Listen for, for this body ministry. It says, from him the whole body 
joined and held together. The whole body, that's you, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows, think about your church growing, and builds itself up in love. How are you going to build yourself up in love as Calvary Baptist Church? It says, as each member does its work, or its part does its work. That's how you're going to grow, every one of you. Well, let me conclude by saying, we have all been called to build with Christ. As we join him in his purpose of bringing people to God, Christ is building his church, which is more than just a social club or just a gathering place. It is the temple where God dwells, the place where people will find freedom and belonging. The church is not patterned after an individual, but after Christ, who is the cornerstone. The manifold wisdom of God is revealed through the church, the body of Christ.